Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Hey, we're going to talk about the resurrection today, if you hadn't figured that one out already. And I, I think when we talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. It is an amazing moment, isn't it? When we talk about the Lord standing up, the word resurrection literally means to stand up again, to stand up again. And I love that picture because the Lord gave up his spirit at the cross. We looked at that last week and just the the suffering that he went through in order that we might uh, have forgiveness when we believe in him and be cleansed. But there's this standing up again. He was placed in the tomb and three days later he stood up again. And what a beautiful picture that is. That's our hope, folks. When we recognize uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is true and we recognize that it's a historical fact, it's something that actually took place, It ought to change our lives, and for many of us, it has. And every day, we can be bold in trusting the Lord, walking with him, because we know uh, that God's not dead. He's alive. And so what a hope we have. What a hope we've been given in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things this morning as we look at this. It's a historical reality. I think it's always amazing. You start getting into history, and you start hearing people talk about history, and uh, especially it seems to be with Christianity, it, it just becomes myth. It becomes something in the past that's just a narrative that we've bought into. And the reality of it is, we looked at it earlier this year, but the Word of God, uh, there's so much documentation on this. The historical reality uh, of what God has presented to the world concerning salvation uh, by faith in Christ alone is absolute And so there's certainly with uh, the resurrection a historical reality to this. There's a higher authority. I think when when we recognize that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man, which has kind of been the theme through the Gospels, whether it's through the miracles that he performed, whether it's the way that he treated people, whether it's the way that he died at the cross asking the Father to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing, and the confession, the testimony of the centurion watching that surely this is the Son of God. The resurrection gives us an absolute reality about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is he is a higher authority. He defeated death, and he stood up again because death had no right to hold him in the grave. It also gives us a heavenly future. A heavenly future. Anybody say amen to that? Praise God. I'll tell you, that is such a hope, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful truth? And we tend to think of hope as as a wish, We're not sure. We look at it like a Christmas present, you know. Maybe, maybe I get it, maybe I don't. I put it on the list and maybe Santa's going to be good to me this year. Folks, that's not what hope is. Hope is future faith. Hope is a future certainty, a reality. When we talk about heaven and we talk about eternal life, the Lord Jesus Christ has declared something for us that is absolute. And we can trust in the Lord. We have a heavenly future. The reality of the resurrection of Christ provides hope for every believer. Provides hope for every believer. Every one of us, if we are believers and if we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ has come to live within us, the fullness of the Godhead has come to live within us, we begin to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have hope. Our lives should look dramatically different than what they used to and certainly what the world still looks like. We shouldn't fear the same things. We don't live the same way 
We're not scared. We're not timid. But with boldness, we're able to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just with words, but in our lives. Why? Because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is true. And the same resurrection power that raised him from the dead is the same resurrection power that has given us new life. And we get to experience God every moment of every day. And so God begins to change us as we yield to him, as we surrender to him, as we say yes to him. We begin to walk with him and we get to experience the life of Christ in and through us. And no matter what circumstance we go through, the life of Christ begins as we yield to him to be manifested, to be seen through us. And it ought to look different than those who have no hope and are without God. The first issue here, the historical reality, the proofs of the resurrection. I I don't know if you've ever read William Lane Craig or Gary Habermas. There's a lot of others. Josh McDowell has written some wonderful uh, books on this particular subject. They've got a a great uh, Bible called the Apologetics Bible. I don't know if you've ever grabbed that and looked at that, uh, but there's all kinds of articles all throughout that Bible that have uh, apologetic or are apologetic in nature. And obviously the resurrection is some of the things that they spend quite a bit of time on. William Lane Craig and Gary Habermas are experts in this field. I can remember at Liberty University uh, sitting, and Gary Habermas was one of the professors at Liberty at that particular time, and he's considered one of the foremost scholars, experts on the resurrection. And he would go all over uh, the country and the world debating atheists about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will never forget one particular chapel, him making the statement that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is such a historical fact. It is so established that nobody even debates it anymore. Now think about that. Scholars who are atheists don't even want to go there. What does that tell you? Folks, this is a decision to be made. Are we going to believe what God has revealed or not? Are we going to trust That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's no ordinary man, that he was sent in order to go to the cross, and that he willingly laid down his life so that all who believe may be saved. That's reality. And the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man, that he is the God-man. He's unique, one of a kind. No one has ever been like him. No one ever will be like him. He's one of a kind. Well, the enemies of the cross, even to this day, we have all kinds of ideas about what really took place at the resurrection. I'm sure you've heard some of these. Some of these things actually were uh, brought out by the Sanhedrin and and those who uh, made sure that Jesus Christ was crucified by Pilate. You've heard of the idea that uh, he really didn't die. He fainted on the cross and he was revived in the tomb. Have you heard that? I mean, that's really weak, isn't it? Seriously. I mean, somebody that wants to believe that, you got to really, really have a great imagination. God bless you. That the tomb was cool enough, and they wrapped him up, and somehow that stopped the bleeding, and so he was able to revive. And What a bunch of nonsense. The Roman soldiers at Golgotha clearly knew that he was dead. Do you know what they would do when somebody was crucified? You would die usually by aspiration. You would die because you were no longer able to push yourself back up in order to get a breath. And as a result, your lungs would begin to fill with fluid and you would not be able to breathe any longer. And that's how you would die. 
And so if, a, if an individual was on the cross long enough, what they would do in order to make sure this person uh, died quickly and put them out of their misery was break their knees, break their legs. They couldn't push up on the cross any longer. When they came to the Lord, they didn't do that because they knew that he was already dead. They took a spear and stabbed him in the side. Folks, it's very obvious from the soldiers who were professional torturers, from the centurion who watched him die and said, surely this was the Son of God, that he died on the cross. He gave up his spirit at the cross. He was already dead. We know that the burial took place. They took the body down from the cross. They wrapped him in clothes, having prepared the body for, for burial, and they placed him into the tomb. There was the sealing of the tomb with a stone and the placing of the guard to keep the disciples from stealing the body. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they knew what the disciples had said. They actually seemed to believe what the Lord had said about being resurrected more than the disciples did. And they were concerned. Hey, this guy declared that he's going to rise again from the dead in three days. So we better seal the tomb off with a stone and place a guard so the disciples can't come and steal the body. Hello? (laughs) Has God got this worked out or what? The disciples, it is said, uh, well, they just saw a ghost. They saw a spirit. Really. Really. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and following, states this. He says, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing what? A spirit. (laughs) A ghost. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Did you catch that? A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? (laughs) Can you imagine these guys? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now, folks, some people want to say, Jehovah's Witnesses still say that it was just a spiritual resurrection. No, this was a physical, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he entered into rooms that were locked, I don't know. How he went from the road to Emmaus and and left them and departed suddenly from them, I don't know. Clearly, he had a glorified body. But it was a body that wasn't simply... Uh, ethereal, it wasn't spirit, it was physical, flesh and bone. And he appears to them, scares them to death, which again, it's another mark on the chapter of the DVD that I want, handed to me by Peter when I come to the gate. Because I want to see their faces, I love reactions like that, right? I love watching people, it's just hilarious, I'm sorry, I'm, I, it's just strange, I know, but I would like to see how they responded They're all up there huddled, scared to death for good reason. And the Lord appears in their midst and they're shocked, shocked. Matthew chapter 28, was the body stolen by the disciples? Well, the Sanhedrin, the elders, they wanted that lie spread about. Matthew 28, verses 12 and following says, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers 
and said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ear, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And the story was wildly, widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Not to this day, our day, but to the day of the writing of this passage. The disciples stole the body. Here they are, scared to death. They're in the upper room. They're waiting. Right? They're despondent, in despair. They want to go back to former occupations. Uh, the two disciples of the road to Emmaus are a great picture of this. They're walking. They don't even recognize the Lord when he comes. And the Lord has to go back and go through all the Old Testament in order to remind them of the prophecies that had been given about him and how he would rise again from the dead. And then he disappears and they realize this had been the Lord that they were talking to and they're so ecstatic. They, they run, in effect, the seven miles back to Jerusalem in order to tell the disciples. Was the body stolen by the disciples? Well, they would have had to go through the guards. They would have had to unseal the tomb with the, with the stone. I mean, the fact of the matter is that it is absolutely absurd to believe that. Well, visitations. Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, and by the way, you can look through any psychological journal, the idea that the disciples were looking forward to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, clearly in the accounts, they were not looking for him at all. They didn't uh, kind of convince themselves this was going to happen, and as a result, they had a collective vision. They weren't looking for him at all, which is actually one of the uh, signs that they really did see him. Because sometimes we can convince ourselves that we've seen something. Ever go hunting and see a bush and think it's a deer? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but believe me. <laughs> you can convince yourself that you're seeing things. I can remember hunting one time in South Carolina, and I knew a deer was behind me. Knew it. I could hear the thing. And it was squirrels. I mean, we can convince ourselves of a lot of stuff. They were not looking for something. They weren't looking for the Lord. They thought he was dead. They thought it was over. So the importance of these visitations is incredible. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8 says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian believers, and he's giving a shortened account of the things that took place verifying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And listen to this. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. That's a shortened version of it, but it's important because the appearances that Christ made were diverse. They weren't just to one set of people in one particular place. They were all over the place and varying people, even 500 at one time. These people were not looking for the Lord, and yet the Lord came to them. They were startled, scared. They thought they were seeing a spirit, a ghost, and the Lord has to tell them no. I've got flesh and bone. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, and 
through 19, Paul writes this, If Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, not only is our faith vain, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. You catch it? If we're going to say that God raised Christ from the dead and God actually didn't do that, then what Paul's saying is we are actually claiming something on behalf of God that did not happen, which means we are lying on behalf of God. And our faith is vain, it is worthless, it is empty, and we are to be pitied. Why are we here this morning if the Lord Jesus Christ did not rise again from the dead? Why are we here? What purpose does it serve? Because if Christ didn't rise again from the dead, then our faith is vain. It is worthless. You could trust in the miracles. You can look back and all the stuff. But if he didn't rise again from the dead, well then, none of this matters. None of this matters. We're still in our sin. We have no hope. We have no eternal life. We have no promise. The Holy Spirit doesn't live within us. We have no unity. Why are we even a church? But he did. And because of that, We know that all that he said is true. And we can walk with him in security. We can walk with him in glory. We can walk with him with hope. Clearly, through all these different stories, and believe me, we could spend a lot of time on it, the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Craig, William Lane Craig says this. Yeah, amen. He says, even the most skeptical critics acknowledge that the disciples had seen Jesus alive after his death. What? Do you catch that? How hard is the heart? How hard is the heart? That God would give us these evidences, that God would give us the word of God, that God would give us a faithful testimony about what he has done. And we would refuse to believe, even though we acknowledge that the testimony must be true. Well, what was the disciples' response? Boy, I'll tell you, one of the testimonies about the the fact of the resurrection is just watch the lives of the the disciples, the change of attitude, the change of, of boldness that takes place. They weren't looking for the Lord, and there's all kinds of examples of this. My favorite is Peter and John running to the tomb at Mary's report. Mary goes down and and sees the Lord, comes running back and tells them they don't believe her. Sorry, ladies. Men, sometimes, you know, it's the way it is, right? And so here goes Peter and John booking it down to the tomb. What? You're spreading rumors. This can't be true. Off they go. The tomb's empty, stone's gone, soldier's gone. (laughs) They bring the report back, and they're still doubtful. They're still wondering. 
The disciples on the road to Emmaus, I've, I've referred to that. Those two, it's amazing what God did in and, and through them and for them to encourage them and to strengthen them. How about Thomas the doubter? How about Thomas? Come on now, y'all have always looked down at Thomas. Haven't, haven't we all done that? Haven't we all looked at Thomas and gone, oh, man, come on, dude, get with the program. Thomas was just saying what everybody else said. God bless him. The rest of them didn't want to say it. Thomas at least says it. Lest I touch him, I'm not going to believe. How many times do we say that? Unless we actually see God do this, we're not going to believe. We do it all the time. (laughs) We are doubters from the word go. Thomas is just simply acknowledging something that all of them believe. And the Lord appears to him. Can you imagine that moment? Oh, it's priceless, isn't it? I bet all the rest of the apostles took 10 steps away from Thomas. Whoa, he said it, not us. <laughs> Lightning strikes, man. We're not near you. <laughs> I love Thomas's response, don't you? My Lord and my God falls on his knees to worship. The Lord makes a wonderful promise. He says, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have never seen and yet believed. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. William Lane Craig says this, Nevertheless, the original disciples suddenly came to believe so strongly that God had raised Jesus from the dead that they were willing to die for that belief. Now think about that. They, they were going back to fishing. They were going back. They were despondent. They, they weren't sure what to do. Depressed. They had put all their uh, livelihood and, and their emotion and their energy into this. The Lord is crucified. They know he's dead. And yet, when the resurrection takes place, we see something completely different. When the Holy Spirit of God comes upon them at Pentecost, we see Peter going from one who denies Christ three times to one who boldly is proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing the transition that takes place. They did not die for a hoax that they had created. See, people today may die for something that they believe, and what they believe in is false. We see that happening all over the world. But the disciples didn't create the hoax themselves, steal the body, and then turn around and go die for a hoax, knowing that what they were dying for wasn't true. The disciples were willing to die because they knew that what had taken place in terms of the resurrection was true. And that, friends, is absolutely essential to understand. We have the opportunity of walking in truth, in truth, and worshiping the Lord and growing in Christ. And in the midst of it, we can face the challenges of this world with certainty, with hope, because of the resurrection, with boldness as the disciples began to walk in. Gary Habermas says this, virtually all scholars studying Jesus' resurrection, whether conservative, moderate, or liberal, acknowledge that Jesus' earliest followers were convinced not only that Jesus was raised from the dead, but also that he had appeared alive to many of them on several occasions. Did you catch that? All scholars. It doesn't matter what stripe they may have. (laughs) They recognize 
that the disciples believed this. He goes on, he says, Further, scholars also almost unanimously recognize that two former skeptics, James, the brother of Jesus, and Saul of Tarsus, Paul, became believers after they too were convinced that they had seen the risen Jesus. Wow. Skeptics. Paul calls himself a murderer. He was killing Christians because he thought this was false. And his life is radically changed because he meets the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he recognizes that this Jesus is the real thing. Changed lives. Changed lives. How many lives have been changed through the decades after the resurrection, including our own, that are a testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me ask you to do something this morning. If your life has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, would you stand? Just stand. You've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can look back on your life and you recognize what you used to be. And today, today, you know that God is alive in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come to live within you and he has made an absolute change in your life. Look around. This is a testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm not trying to leave anybody out. If you didn't stand, I want you to do something. I want you to grab somebody that was near you that stood up, and I want you to ask them, how do you know? What was your life like before you knew Christ? And what is the change that Christ has made in your life to this day? Ask them. Ask them. Because I can tell you, friend, how long would it take for us to go through every person's individual testimony that just stood? It's amazing. It's amazing. Heaven's going to be an amazing place, isn't it? I think we're all going to get to get to know one another in ways that we have no idea. We're going to find out details. The tapestry is going to be made clear right now. It looks all muddled and messed up, and we're not sure exactly why God's doing this, why God's allowed this. How come God didn't do what I want him to do here? It's all, it's all this. We don't see clearly. But one day, we're going to see the tapestry, and it's going to be incredible, incredible. We talk about the Lord having a higher authority or being a higher authority, the fulfillment of prophecy. I went through that the other day and the other week indescribable how many prophecies the Lord fulfilled. Clearly, part of that is the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, verses 30, and following Peter at Pentecost, the boldness that he was given through the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes a couple statements out of the Old Testament. He says, So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He's talking about King David right there. He looked ahead, King David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. One of these days I'm going to talk about what took place from the moment that the Lord gave up his spirit to the moment that he resurrected from the dead. That is absolutely fascinating. 
Hades. What is Hades? What did he tell the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me where? In paradise. Paradise is just one part of Hades. There's two parts to Hades. I can't get into that. Sorry. (laughs) Come back. (laughs) When we talk about his resurrection, we talk about his body not even suffering decay. Why not? When they put him in the tomb, why did his body not suffer decay? Because there was no sin in it to cause it to decay. It's incredible. It's the perfect spotless lamb of God. He's one of a kind. He's unique. He has a higher authority. He's divine. He's the God-man. In Matthew 22, Jesus himself gave credit to the fact that there is life after death. He says, regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Listen to this statement. It's so brilliant. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. The Sadducees didn't even believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And the Lord said, you say you believe the Old Testament, particularly the Sadducees. You say you believe in the first five books of the Old Testament. But you you don't know what is said there? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And he says it in the present tense. These guys had passed away, but they were still living spiritual life. What about the defeat of death? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and following. Great chapter on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verses 54 and following, he says, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, meaning our bodies, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory of what? Victory over death. Why do we fear it? Why are we worried about it? Isn't it in the hands of God? Can we add one cubit to our lives by worrying? (laughs) Absolutely not. Not one breath can be added to our lives by worrying. God knows exactly when we're going to go. He knows exactly how we're going to go. And he'll meet us there. Praise God. Amen. When we talk about God, and we talk about Jesus Christ being raised again from the dead, we've got to recognize that he is a higher authority. And as a result, he's given us a heavenly future. The promise of eternal life. Matthew 22, verses 31 and following. Jesus is speaking and he says this, But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken? And this is what I just said. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's the God of the living. In John chapter 11, verses 21 and following, Martha says to Jesus, Lazarus has died. And Martha is concerned. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You remember that the Lord delayed two days on purpose because he knew exactly what he was going to do with Lazarus. He says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. The Jewish belief was only speaking of the resurrection at the very end of all things. They weren't looking to the resurrection of the Messiah because they had missed the entire point of Jesus even being there. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks this profound question, do you believe this? See, Martha understood enough about Jesus to be dangerous. She understood enough about the Lord to recognize that he was unique. But she needed to be adjusted in her thinking even just a little bit more. Do you not understand, Martha, that I am the resurrection and the life? I am life itself. He who believes in me will live even if, what? He dies. Do you believe this? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, many passages on this, verse 13 and 14. He says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We are given the Holy Spirit. Why? As a seal with a promise of our eternal life. Think about that. And not just our justification, but the fact that now we can walk with God and that there is reward waiting for us in heaven. Praise God as we walk with him and serve him, as we grow in Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit as a down payment. You know, I love how Spiros shared this with me. He said, it's kind of like when you go to buy a house and you put the earnest money down on that house. Normally you go and and you say, yeah, we're interested in this house. We want to buy it. And they say, okay, show us you're serious. And so you put down whatever amount that is required. And that way you show that you're serious. Now, if you choose not to buy the house, do you get the earnest money back? Nope. So you get to move into the house when the earnest money's been given. You you say, hey, we're interested in this house. We want to buy this house. We put the earnest money down, and so we're moving in tomorrow. Is that how that works? They would go, what? (laughs) No, 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 you can't do that. We've got to qualify. We've got to make sure that you're ready. We've got to make sure that you have all the documents signed. And believe me, there's a lot of documents to sign today, right? we got to make sure everything is taken care of. And once you make the final statement, you sign whatever you need to do, then you can move into the house. God has given us the Holy Spirit as an earnest payment, but then immediately has said, the whole house is yours. It's yours. See, we can enjoy the Lord today. We can walk with him today because of what the Lord has already done. Even though one day we're going to be in heaven and one day we're going to get new bodies and one day we're going to be glorified, right now we can walk with him day by day and enjoy all the privileges of sonship because of what Christ has already done and accomplished for us. Are we walking in that? Or are we waiting around for something else? Heaven's our home, folks. 
Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in 2 Peter 3.13, he says, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And there he's talking about after the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth where we will rule and reign with Christ. After. See, we, we we don't look to make our home here, per se. We recognize that we've got something better. We're citizens of a kingdom that supersedes everything on this earth. And as a result, we walk according to that. We live according to that. And our hope is secure in that because we've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment because the word of God is true. And as a result, we can look forward to what it is that God has provided for us. Now, I like this part because we're going to get glorified bodies. Anybody say amen to that? I, I went yesterday, and, and I made the mistake. I, I, Planet Fitness, we've kind of joined there, and Jonathan was doing his three-mile jog, and I was proud of him for doing that. It was like, way to go, dude, way to go. So I decided I walked for a little bit. I'm not going to tell you how much. And then I went into, the, <laughs> I went into this room. They got a 30-minute workout, and I thought, easy peasy, man. This is nothing. And I didn't read the directions, you know, so I just started, sorry, I didn't read the directions. So I started going through all the different stuff, and I knew how to do this. I've, I've worked out. Uh, it's been a while, but I've worked out. I know how to use those machines. I don't really like those machines. <laughs> and I did way more reps than what I was supposed to at the beginning. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you're supposed to do, like, 15 to 20. You're supposed to pace yourself. And I did on one particular machine, I did, like, over 30 reps, and I thought, oh, that felt good. And I went to the next one, started to do it. By the time I got to the fifth one, I was starting to feel a little nauseous. You know what I'm saying? And by the time I got to the tenth one, I thought, this is for the birds. Who does this stuff? Why would you ever do this? And I walked out. Stephanie was walking, and she looked at me. She goes, you look pale. And I thought, I feel pale. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to faint. I'm going to sit down, you know. I can't wait to get a new body. Praise God. A glorified body. I want to I be able to transport wherever I want to go, just like the Lord did, you know? Hey, I want to see the Alps. Gone, man. There we are, right? Go down to the Caribbean. Spearfish a little bit. Great. <laughs> Skip Isaac wants ownership of, of Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii, but I want to tell you something. Skip and I might have some words on that one, right? <laughs> the millennium is going to be an amazing thing. But we're going to get new bodies, we're going to get new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and following says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown a perishable body. It's raised what? An imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Or in verse 49 of the same chapter, just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of what? The heavenly. No more sin. No more sin. Anybody say amen to that? It's because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have a hope and we recognize we're going to get new bodies. Sin dwells within our fleshly bodies right now and there's a war taking place between the spirit and the lust of our flesh and it's constant. If we walk by the spirit, we will not walk according to the lusts of the flesh. That's the promise 
given to us. And praise God because it's not our strength. It's the spirit of God in us who is able and strengthens us as we say yes to him and walk by faith. Walk believing in him. Folks, we've been given something that's amazing. How are we doing in our walk? What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? What are you distracted by? Boy, I'm saying this to myself as much as anybody else. What is it that concerns you? What is it that you've gotten off track and you've gotten your eyes off of the Lord and the hope and the absolute truth of what he has said for us? How is it that you're experiencing God day by day, moment by moment? What has God done for us? What is God doing for us? What has God promised that he will accomplish for us? Are we walking in that? And are we then testimonies that Jesus Christ truly did rise again from the dead. Praise God. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.